Tori, do you mind if I ask you a question? No, I don't mind. Have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven? Or is that something you would say you're still working on? I'd say I'm still working on that. Well, according to the Bible, in 1 John 5.13, it says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you mind if I share with you what the Bible says about how you can know for certain that you have eternal life? Okay. Before I do, do you mind if I ask you one more question? No, go ahead. Suppose you were to die today and stand before God, and he were to say to you, Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I'd say because I've been a good person and lived a good life and um, tried to follow the Ten Commandments and been a charitable person. Okay, so you say because you've been a good person, you've tried to follow the Ten Commandments, been a charitable person, that these are the reasons why God should let you into heaven. Yeah. Okay. Well, according to the Bible, heaven is a free gift. In Romans 6.23, it says that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So from that verse, we can see that heaven is simply a gift that God gives us. And it's not something that can be earned or deserved. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast about it. So he gives it to us as a gift so we won't boast that we've received it. No amount of personal effort, good works, or religious deeds can earn a place in heaven because eternal life, like any genuine gift, is free. Suppose your best friend were to surprise you with an expensive gift. And let's suppose your response would be that of immediately digging into your purse or wallet for a couple of bills to help pay for the gift. What an insult that would be. You must accept gifts freely, and if you pay even a penny, it is no longer a gift. And it's the same with eternal life. Now, this can be more clearly seen when we understand what the Bible says about man. The Bible says that man is a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it means I've sinned, uh, my wife has sinned, my friends have sinned, and that you've sinned as well, according to the Bible, because everybody has sinned. Now, before we go any further, let's kind of try to understand what sin is, a definition of sin. So what do you think sin is, or what would be a definition of sin? I would say, like, murder and stealing and lying and cheating. Okay, yeah, those are great examples of sin. Um, The Bible tells us that sin is anything that doesn't please God, or is a transgression of his law. Anything we do that we shouldn't, like losing our temper or stealing, these are sins of commission. And anything we do but don't, uh, that we should do, sorry, and don't, like failing to pray or read the Bible or to truly love our neighbor, these are sins of omission. They're not only sins in deed, but also sins in word and thought, lying, cursing, lust, pride, and hatred. The Bible says that all of these are sins. Suppose I sinned only ten times a day, or even five, or, or let's just say three. Uh, why well, I'd be, you know, practically a walking angel, almost a saint. I mean, imagine if no more than than three times a day, um, you know, I thought an unkind word, or an unkind thought, or you know, lost my temper, or failed to do what I ought to towards God and man. I'd be a pretty fine person, would I not? <clears throat> 
even if this were, even if I were this good, I would still have only a thousand transgressions a year, you know, three a day. And if I lived to be the age of 70, I would have 70,000 violations of the law of God on my record. Think what would happen to a habitual offender in a criminal court with 70,000 transgressions on his record. This illustrates that not only am I a sinner, but also that my sin is a very serious offense. Now, the Bible also says that I cannot save myself because of all the sin that I have. In Matthew 5, 48, um, Jesus gives us the requirements to get into heaven. He says to be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Um, well, if you can think of it as, you know, that if I were to prepare an omelet with five good eggs and one rotten egg, you know, I couldn't serve that to any company that would come over a house and expect it to be acceptable, and even less can we serve up our lives to God, which may have many things in them that men would call good, and yet are filled with deeds and thoughts that are rotten, and expect them to be accept, and ex, you know, expect them to be acceptable to God. If we want to get to heaven by our good works, then all we have to do is to be perfect. God's standard is complete obedience to Him in all things and at all times, and we all fall short of this. Do you see now why it's impossible for anyone to get into heaven by their own good works? Yeah. Well, this can come into sharper focus when we look at what the Bible says about God. The Bible says that God is merciful and therefore does not want to punish us. In 1 John 4.8, it says God is love. But the Bible also talks about God and says that he is a just God and therefore he must punish sin. In Exodus 34.7, it says, He does not leave the guilty unpunished. So you can kind of see there's like a problem here that God is merciful and he does not want to punish us, but he's also just and he must punish our sin. That God solved this, per- this problem in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says who Christ is and what he did. So, according to the Bible, that Christ is both fully God and fully man. In John 1, 1 and 14, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So according to this, Jesus is both God and man. And what Jesus did was, he died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for our sins and to purchase a place in heaven for us. Let's imagine that this book in my right hand is a minutely detailed account of my life, that each page details the sins of a particular day, every word I've spoken, every thought that's ever crossed my mind, every, every deed I've ever done. Here, then, is the problem, my sin. God loves me, but he hates my sin, and he must punish it. To solve this problem, he sent his son into the world. The scripture says, according to Isaiah 53, 6, that we all like sheep have gone astray, and each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of my sin, which God hates, has been placed on Jesus Christ. Finally, 
when the last sin had been paid for by Jesus, he said, It is finished. Now, this is an interesting word in the original text. It is tetelestai, a commercial word which means is paid. The debt is paid. When he died, he was buried in a grave for three days. But he rose from the dead and went to heaven to prepare a place for you and me. And now he offers heaven, eternal life, to you and me as a gift. Now, this gift is received through faith. Now, there are many different types of faith, but there's only one faith that will give us to heaven. Faith is the key that opens the door to heaven. Uh, for example, on this key ring, there are many keys. Some even look somewhat alike. Yet when I go to unlock my front door tonight, I could try all of these keys except for the right one, and I could not unlock the door. It doesn't matter how sincere I am in exercising my belief that a different key will open the door. The fact is that the only that only the right key will open the door. The right key to heaven is saving faith. Now, before we talk about saving faith, uh, the only key that will open heaven's door, I want to talk about two other keys that people often think that will open the door to heaven. Those keys are head knowledge and temporal faith. First of all, head knowledge. Um, we know that head knowledge doesn't simply get us to heaven because many people you know, know certain historical facts about Jesus. They believe in Jesus the same way that they believe in Napoleon or George Washington. They believe that he actually existed. They believe he's a real person in history. But they're not trusting in him to do anything you know, for them. The Bible says that the devil believes in God and trembles. In James 2.19 it says, You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And we know they're not going to heaven. So believing in God's existence is not what the Bible means by saving faith. Temporal faith is another thing that people often mistake for saving faith. When a person trusts in the Lord for finances, you could call that financial faith. A person may pray and trust the Lord to take care of his family. You could call this family faith. Many have prayed for a safe trip, and you could call that traveling faith. And there's one thing that all of these have in common that they're temporary. For instance, once you reach your destination, you don't need to trust the Lord for traveling faith. All the things of this world will pass away. They're temporary. But saving faith is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. According to Acts 16.31, um, the Bible says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. So the key to heaven, that the key that unlocks um, heaven for us is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. Now, here's a good way, I guess, to illustrate this. You do believe this chair exists, don't you? Yeah. Uh, do you believe this chair would support me if I were to sit on it? I hope so. <laughs> but you see, it, it's not holding me up for one simple reason. I'm not sitting on it right now. Um, for the sake of making my point, let the chair I'm sitting in represent me. And this empty chair represent Christ. For a long time, I believed that he existed, that he could help me. However, I didn't have eternal life because I was trusting my own good works to get me into heaven. Years ago, I repented of my sins and transferred my trust from myself to Jesus Christ. From what I've been doing for God to what he has done for me on the cross. 
By a simple act of faith, I transferred my trust from what I had done to what Christ has done for me. When I asked you earlier uh, about what you said to God, if you, what you'd said to God if he were to ask you, why should I lift you into heaven? You said, you know, I try to follow the Ten Commandments. I try to do things that are right. Um, you know, the only person really that you referred to in your answer you know, was yourself. To receive eternal life, you must transfer your trust from yourself to Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. Now you may say, why then should I live a good life, you know, if it's just trusting in Jesus Christ? Well, the reason for living a good life is gratitude for this gift of eternal life. I'm not trying to gain something I don't have by my efforts to be good. Rather, I'm saying, thank you, Lord. The motive for Christian living is gratitude for the gift of eternal life. Now, Tori, does this make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Would you like to receive the gift of eternal life? Sure, I think I do. Well, let me clarify what this involves. First, it's a transfer of trust. As we talked about before with the chair, you have to put your trust in what Jesus is doing instead of on your own works and on what you're doing. And secondly, you want to receive the resurrected and living Christ as both your Savior and your Lord, the one who will give you uh, eternal life, but also the one who will direct um, the rest of your life as well, that you'll allow him to be the Lord of your life. And lastly, you also will have to repent. And repent is basically just means turning around or making a U-turn. It's like if you were to be driving down the road and you realize you're going in the wrong direction, you'd make a U-turn to go you know, the opposite way. And the same is true in our life, that when we realize that we're moving in the wrong direction, going in the direction of sin, and when we repent, we decide to move in the, in the right direction and to, to follow what Christ is doing. If this is what you really want, I can lead us in a prayer right now And we can tell God what you've just uh, told me. Would you like to do that? Yes, I would. Okay, well, first of all, I'll just uh, pray for both of us. And then um, we can pray together. I'll just lead you in in short phrases that you can just repeat after me. It'll just be a way that you can express to God what we've already talked about here. And then I'll also pray for us again afterwards, okay? I'll let you know when I'm doing each of these. Okay. So first of all, let me pray for you. Dear God, I thank you so much that you've allowed Tori and myself to talk and to um, and to hear about this great news that you've, you've given us, your gift of eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would just give Tori faith, that you would help her to transfer her trust onto you. And I also pray that you would help her to repent as well, that she'd be able to turn away from the things she's been doing in the past and to follow you. Okay, Tori, if you want to repeat after me. God, I know that heaven is a free gift. God, I know that heaven is a free gift. And that I am a sinner because all men have sinned. And that I am a sinner because all men have sinned. Dear God, I want to transfer my trust uh, from myself and the deeds I've done. God, I want to transfer my trust from myself and the deeds that I've done. And place my trust in Jesus Christ. And place my trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you. You've given me heaven as a free gift. Lord, I thank you that you've given me heaven as a free gift. And I want to accept that free gift from you right now. And I want to accept that gift right now. Lord, I thank you for Tori, and I thank you that um, 
that you have given her eternal life in your Son, in Jesus Christ, by transferring her trust onto you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give Tori an assurance, knowing that the, the Bible has clearly shown her uh, what it takes to have eternal life. So I pray that you would give her assurance of her faith in Jesus, and that it's not simply a temporary faith, but a lasting faith uh, that will give her eternal life. We thank you, Lord, and uh, thank you for your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Tori, I'd like to read something to you about what Jesus says about what you've just done, okay? Okay. I'll show it to you right here. It's in John six forty-seven. Find it right here. Okay, here you go. I just want to point it out to you. Can you see it? John six forty-seven says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Now that applies to you because you know you've just believed now, and that's all it takes to have um, everlasting life, this eternal life, heaven, which God has given us freely. Now, Tori, let me ask you those questions that I asked you before, uh, earlier on in our conversation. Have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you're to die today, you'd go to heaven, or is that something you'd say you're still working on? No, I, I know now for sure. Yeah. Well, let me ask you that second question as well. Suppose you were to die today and stand before God and here to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Because I've trusted in Jesus Christ. Very good. Well, Tori, let me also just share with you just briefly uh, five different ways that you can grow in your faith. That um, since you've transferred your trust in, in onto Christ, that you can also be able to grow and as you uh, learn more about him. Uh, the first way simply is just to, to read your Bible. Um, the Bible is a great way to learn more about God and about what Jesus has done for you. Secondly is to pray. And prayer is simply just talking to God. It's uh, just just like we're talking together here. Uh, prayer is just a way to talk to God. So by doing that, you can develop your relationship with him and to know him more. And third way is to worship, to find a place that you be able to sing praises to God and to worship Him with your, in your heart. Fourthly, is through fellowship, by finding other believers and Christians that you can fellowship with, that you can be able to grow and to learn from their faith, and you can also grow in yours as well. And the last way that I'll just mention is uh, to be a witness, just to allow other people to know what you've done, that you've put your, your faith and your trust into what Christ has done, and, uh, and that will also help you to grow as well.